Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Um, well, good afternoon, everyone. And um, if you are new with us today, we have been going through the epistle, the letter, the book of Ephesians to the Ephesians. And we're pretty much um, on the final furlong. We are in chapter six, and we have seen so many wonderful truths within, within this epistle, how very much it's evenly divided into two sections, the first three chapters being doctrinal and the last three chapters being very practical. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been... Um, looking at the armor of God and God's provision for us, the provision he's given to us, as we engage within spiritual warfare, you know, spiritual warfare against a very real enemy who ultimately is the devil, but we have principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, heavenly hosts, you know, in darkness, in heavenly places. And so we have to be mindful of this. And in order just to keep the flow of this, this portion, um, it'll be good for us just to read from verse 10 and we'll take it down to verse 18. Um, and it's good to read this portion as a whole as well, because as I've said before, we're not to be selective in what items of the armor we appropriate. It's the whole armor of God. Okay, we have to put on every item, as it were. And so in verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Amen. So today we come to the footwear. And, you know, the footwear is very, it's a, a very interesting item of the armor of God. And it's a very interesting item which God expects us to appropriate. You know, and I say this um, 
It's an interesting item, and I say this especially in the light of, of how we view footwear today in our modern society. You know, shoes are very important to us. You know, many of us have a love for shoes, and we buy many pairs accordingly. You know, women, can I get a witness? Guys, can I get a witness? Okay. I'm not getting a witness. All right. Okay, so even if you don't have a love for shoes, the fact is, I'm sure that many of us have many pairs of shoes. You know, wherever you keep them, whether in your wardrobe or in your cupboard or anything, you open up the wardrobe, the cupboard, and there's just a row of shoes. We have shoes in different colors, different shapes. We have dress shoes. We have casual shoes. We have, you know, um, shoes for different occasions, sportswear, boots, trainers, whatever it could be. We have different shoes. Shoes are important to us. Amen? And likewise, Shoes are very important to God. The shoes he wants us to appropriate for us in this battle is very, very important. Because they will protect us against the wiles of the devil. Now, in ancient times, unlike today, you know, footwear was not seen as a fashion item you know it wasn't seen as a fashion statement but they served a practical purpose and the practical purpose was primarily to protect the feet and you know as we think about this you know it'd be it's an obvious thought to think that in the ancient world there were the roads wasn't tarmac you know, the pave, they didn't have concrete pavements. They didn't have nicely cut lawns. And so when, you know, when the soldiers had to go on a, a long journey, you know, they didn't have, you know, these, these nice surfaces to walk over. It was rough terrain. So they needed to have footwear which would protect them from the rough terrain. You know, it was usually brambles and pebbles and and rocks and they they would usually march through deserts or through forests or you know even coming to scotland it may even be snowing so they needed footwear which would protect them keep them warm and just give them that stability so it was important and within the mindset of a soldier soldier there was always a fear that their feet would get injured so this is another reason why the footwear was so important. Because, you know, if a soldier's foot got injured, they were totally out of action. You see, in, in battle, they could, you know, damage their wrist. They could damage their arm. They could, you know, get a cut on the eye or get cut somewhere. But they could still function. But if they got injured in their feet, well, that mean, meant that they couldn't do anything. They were totally out of the picture. And what the enemies would basically do is, is that they would set traps, you know, wooden stakes, which would come out of the ground. And so if a soldier didn't have the right footwear and they were marching, 
And there was a trap there. They would step right on it, which meant they were totally out of action. And so footwear, you know, it served a very, very practical purpose. And if the footwear wasn't tough, as I said, the spikes would just go right through. If it wasn't tough, as they were marching, you know, it would just wear out. And, you know, when we're thinking about footwear and soldiers and being in armies and everything, you know, this is still something which is a problem within armies today, within modern conflicts. You know, soldiers not having the right footwear, not having the right kit. And because they haven't got the right footwear, it makes them, you know, unable to really engage in, in, in fighting. You know, you just have to look to the Second World, World War and knowing that if they didn't have the right footwear, you know, they would get certain conditions on their feet. They didn't keep their, their feet aired and everything. There's a whole concept around keeping their, their feet protected because they needed to be able to stand, they needed to be able to march, they needed to be able to move. And so God is saying, look, you need to protect your feet. And I'm giving you something which would protect your feet, which in the spiritual terrain, it will help you to endure. It will protect you. That, you know, if you was in the heat of battle, that it would give you the right stance so that you could fight. And the footwear, basically, if you watch any old films and that, you see that it was more like a sandal thing, more like sandals, and it was made out of, you know, really firm leather. And it had thick soles and straps which basically bound around your ankles to make sure that it was fixed, it was solid, it was, it was fixed to your foot. And... At the bottom of the soles, what they would do is they would, they would ram nails through the soles and then they would put a layer on so it was soft to the foot. But they would ram nails through it so that when you were marching, you had grip. If you was fighting, you had grip. It gripped the, the, the surface. And, you know, it reminds me of when, you know, years ago we used to play football um, at Battersea Park. And when we used to play football at Battersea Park on the AstroTurf, I used to wear Jordans. Now, Jordans are basketball trainers. Okay? And I used to wear Jordans playing football on AstroTurf. So, basically, you're playing football and you're running around and you want to stop because you need to kind of like make a quick maneuver, but the Jordans are not made for AstroTurf. So, instead of trying to stop, you go sliding along. And it wasn't long before I said, okay, I need to get some AstroTurf boots. And as soon as I got the AstroTurf boots and I was running along and decided to stop, I stopped. I could maneuver because I had the right footwear on. And so I hope it's going through your mind now. Well, have I got the right footwear on, spiritually speaking? Have I got any footwear on, spiritually speaking? And so... The nails going through the soles will provide that grip. A bit like if you, you know, see those guys doing track and field and they have the spikes and it provides that grip. You see little sort of like spikes coming out the bottom because it provided grip and firmness of footing. And with a soldier, firmness of footing when they were fighting. 
And so all of these things, the footwear provided protection, stability, and flexibility. And so it says in verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this carries the idea that our feet should be protected and made ready by being able to stand firm with grip. And the grip which is described here is the gospel of peace. And you know, as I say that, as we read, read that verse, you know, having our, we should have in our, shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Many of you who know your way around your Bibles a little bit, maybe straight away comes in your mind, Romans 10. Romans 10, you know. Um, well, let's turn to Romans 10. Romans 10, and we'll pick up from verse 13. And if it didn't automatically spring to mind, maybe it will now. But Romans 10, when you're at chapter verse 13, please say amen. Okay. All right, reading from verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So automatically we look at that and we think, yeah, I see the connection. You know, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we see in Romans here now, I see it. And Romans here is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah, which says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So, you know, looking at the two verses, you know, it's obvious to see that it's pretty much self-explanatory. It's talking about evangelism. But the difficulty here is that the text in Romans has specific reference to being sent. It's talking about going and preaching the gospel. Whereas our text in Ephesians, as we've been looking at, is, is not speaking about going anywhere, per se. Our text in Ephesians says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. And so, even though evangelism is good, even though going and preaching and declaring the gospel is exactly what we need to be doing as believers, in terms of the armor of God, what we're looking at right now, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is not speaking about evangelism. Again, our context is standing. Our context is standing and fighting. And as we do this, Paul is saying we need to have our shoes on. Have our shoes on so that we don't get injured. Have our shoes on so that, you know, we don't go into the enemy's traps. Have our shoes on so that we don't slip and slide and fall when we're under attack. 
have our shoes on so that we're rooted and we're grounded in the sure ground of the truth of the gospel. So we are prepared and our spikes or our studs are firm in the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so what is he, what is he what are you talking about here, Paul? What do you mean by the preparation of the gospel of peace? Well, another way we could say the gospel is the good news. And the good news primarily speaks about and tells us that we're not enemies with God anymore. God's on our side. And because God is on our side, we have peace with God. And so it's not a matter of going out and declaring, but it's being assured that you know that you know that you know you're not an enemy of God. So when the enemy comes with these lies, when he, when he catches you on a down moment, when you're not feeling that great about yourself, and you start questioning yourself, am I really safe? No. You put on your shoes, which you should have anyway, and you fix it in and say, no, I'm not an enemy of God. I am at peace with God. And because I'm at peace with God, you know, verse 15 is actually communicating that, as I said, God is on our side and we can have full confidence in God. Because I'm not his enemy. I'm his child. I'm in his army. I don't have to keep reassuring myself, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? You see, we have to have this confidence in God which makes it, our mindset immovable. A confidence in God which says that, you know, Lord, I'm in this battle, but you're right here with me. As, as I fight, you're fighting with me because it's your strength, your power, your might. You see, we have to have this confidence, you know, a bit like Gideon, who went to fight against the Midianites. And Gideon, you know, Gideon wanted to go with a whole army and God says, nah, it's too many. And so he says, too many. Okay, well, how many then? And so God basically whittles it down to the original 300. And Gideon's confidence wasn't in the 300. It was in God. God didn't even tell him to bring any armor with him. And we know the end of the story was that the Midian, he didn't have to fight the Midianites. The Midianites started killing each other. See, when we go to war... Yes, we are in the battle, we are in the war, but God is fighting with us. It's his power, it's his strength, it's his might. Okay, that was Gideon. Well, what about going in the confidence of David? You know, David was just a young boy. He comes to the battlefront and he hears Goliath saying, you know, who wants to come out and fight me? And David's response is, but wait. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to come, come against the almighty God? You see, his strength wasn't in himself. It was in the God in whom he served. That's how we have to have our feet shod in the preparation, knowing that, you know what? God's on my side. And if God is for me, ha, who can be against me? 
Okay, well, that's David. David was a bad boy. He was a king. He was heavy. What about Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael? Some of you are probably thinking, who are they? Now, I like to use Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael because that was their Hebrew names. I don't want to go down with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because that was some Babylonian pagan names. But that's how everybody remembers it, isn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. That was their names. What about these guys? And we have the situation in Daniel chapter 3 where, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he kind of like puts up this image and he says, you know, when you hear these sounds, everybody's got to bow down to this image. And if you don't bow down to this image, they're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. So guess what? The sound comes and everything and they don't bow down. And I just love it. I love the language in Daniel because... Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace then. And he says this, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You see, Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, but he wasn't God. And he didn't realize that he was coming against the almighty God. And because these three Hebrew boys were sure, they were steadfast, they were rooted. It doesn't matter what, you're going to kill me, fair enough. I know I'm going to be with my God. They knew in whom they believed in. So they replied to him, listen to it. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That is, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, love that. But if not, it doesn't matter anyway. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, sure, steadfast, rooted. They had the shoes on. They weren't going to be moved. And so in this situation here, Nebuchadnezzar got mad. And he said, what? That's how you're talking to me. Turn up the fiery furnace seven times hotter. Thinking that God was going to get shook now. You've turned up the fiery furnace seven times hotter. Oh, I can't deliver him from that then. It didn't matter. And we know that they got delivered out of that situation. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had to turn around and say, oh, truly your God is the God of gods. You see, it's that assurity, that's, that confidence we have to have in Jesus, in the Father. That firmness of footing, that firmness of footing, that knowing that we already have the victory in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus has already won the war. And Jesus, basically, when we go into battle, he's backing it for us. And so we stand with our feet shod with the good news of knowing that we're not enemies with God. I'm at peace with God. God is my father. I'm his child. Throw what you want at me. It doesn't really matter. 
You know, to the point that Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11 says that, you know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. He's in the battle with us. So as we fight, he fights. So really, the question is, have you got your shoes on? Have you got your shoes? Because you may be in a situation where it may seem like (laughs) the fiery furnace is getting seven times hotter. You may be there. But are you going to be like Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael and say, you know what? My God is able. But even if he's not, even if he lets me endure whatever I'm going through, through right now, it doesn't matter. God is God. You know, some of us may be in situations and we're asking that that big question, why? I don't understand, Lord. And the fact of the matter is, we may never understand this side of eternity. We may never. But knowing that you don't understand this side of eternity, what does that do for you? Does that still make you firm and fixed and rooted in the truth? Of the gospel, does that make you still put your shoes on? Because that's the reality of it. Put your shoes on. Stop slipping, stop sliding, stop being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, however you want to picture it. Put your shoes on. It's all about standing, as I said, you know. If you could put your picture it this way, just like Joshua, you know protecting the ground and and fighting and protecting that ground which you have already claimed. So when the devil comes with these lies and these accusations and everything, these fiery darts, we can say, nah, that's not me. I've got peace with God. And so the footwear, very, very important. Because it helps us to stand. The next item we see is the shield in verse 16, which says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And here, the words above all could in so many ways be misleading. Because it doesn't mean that this item is more important than the others. It doesn't mean, yeah, above all that, yeah, that's all good, but above that is this. It doesn't mean that. It means on top of, as a layer. You see, because as we put on the belt, as we put on the breastplate, as we put on our shoes, and then we go on to put on our helmet and we pick up our sword, above that we have to have a shield which protects everything. And so we have this shield, which it comes from the Greek word therios, which means large shield. So don't have in your mind small shield here. It's big shield, about four foot by two foot. And it was basically made with two layers of wood, which would be stuck together and then it had a binding of leather around it and then the front panel would be made out of metal. And the shield was specifically designed to give us 
full protection. To give the soldier full protection from the enemy. And so, along with the other pieces of the armor, the shield provided double protection. And if you can picture it in your mind, the way the enemy would combat against the shield, you know, when when the Romans were advancing, it was like the enemy would be faced basically with a wall, wall of shields. You've probably seen it in some of the some of the films. They moved as one, you know. They just moved. It was just like a wall, a wall of shields. And so what they would do is they would fire these arrows at the shields. They would put it in pitch and then burn them and then fire them because they wanted to burn the shields so that the soldier would be exposed. And if the soldier is exposed, they can start picking them off. So. It specifically says in verse 16 that the shield is given to us so that we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So what does this mean? When the enemy fires his darts, which basically come within one or three or all three simultaneously areas of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. The pride of life. When he starts throwing these things, these, these, these arrows at us, we're meant to put our shield up. Our shield's meant to quench it. You know, when he fires the thoughts of, of greed or vanity or pride, covetousness, egotism, when he fires the darts of, you know, wanting to cause division or having doubt and confusion, You know, we have to put up the shield. And it says here that the shield is the shield of faith. So faith becomes a double protection, if you can hear it. Because faith, the shield of faith, it quenches, it extinguishes these fiery darts. It stops it. And we know as believers that faith is the basis for our belief and for our trust in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so when we find ourselves in situations, are we applying faith? Are we applying faith or are we just looking at the mountain of the situation and saying, it's too big for me. God is not able. We have to apply faith. And we would say that Abraham is the father of our faith. That's what we would say. That's what the scripture says. Genesis 15 verse 1 says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Abraham, why? I am your shield. I am your, your shield, your exceedingly great reward. See, we have to appropriate the shield because we're appropriating faith in God. And God's saying, I'm going to be your shield. 
And the scriptures goes on to say, and he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. So you put your trust in God, he's a shield. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Are we getting the picture? God is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And we put our trust in him by applying faith in him. First John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. Put up that shield. Gain the victory. Apply your faith in the living God. And a verse which we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you haven't got your shield up, you may get devoured. If you haven't got your shoes on, you may be rocked. You may slip, slide all over the place. It goes on to say, resist him. Steadfast in what? Steadfast in faith. We see the importance of faith. We see that faith gives us this double protection. And we see why there is that need to appropriate this piece of the armor in order to be effective in battle against the enemy. Because you may want a bit of respite. You may want to say to the enemy, time out, time out. Like, like we'll, we'll pick up again tomorrow, yeah? <laughs> and he's like, really? <laughs> really? He doesn't give us respite. You know, he doesn't leave us alone. He's always on our case. And so God's saying, look, I've given you the armor as this provision to fight against the enemy. Appropriate it. Don't be selective. Put it all on. And so we come to the next item, the fifth piece of the armor, which is the helmet of salvation. First part of verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. And this helmet was made also, you know, it's made out of metal and leather, and it was quite heavy. It was, you know, a heavy piece of equipment to be wearing. And its main purpose was, again, to protect the soldier. You see how all of these things seem to have this protective thing going through it. So it's protection first. We protect so that we can attack. We protect so that we can attack. And its main purpose was, as I said, to protect from a specific weapon. And the enemies which the Romans used to always come against, usually, um, you know, they used to have this thing called a broadsword. 
And the broadsword was, was a two-sided sword, which was about three to four feet in length. And again, imagery, if you think of them films, you get the guys and they're sort of like, you know, do, wielding their sword. And the intention of wielding a broadsword was to chop off a soldier's head. They will wield it. And so it's like the Roman soldiers knew, if you're getting into battle, put your helmet on. Because if that sword gets a little ching, you know, that helmet will save you from getting your head chopped off. And this is exactly what our enemy wants to do with us, spiritually speaking. He doesn't want us in the game. He wants to take us out. If he can take us right out, then he'll take us right out the game. And God is saying, put your helmet on because it will protect you. And again, I've mentioned it before because, you know, these things overlap, but he uses the two sides. It was a two-sided sword, and he, he specifically uses the two sides of discouragement and doubt. You know, and he sends these things to all of us, whether we're baby Christians or whether we've been mature in the faith, walking with the Lord for years. He sends the same things to all of us. You know, look how much, look at all the things you do, but nobody appreciates you. You know, nobody cares about you. If they cared about you, well, they would phone you during the week, wouldn't they? They'll come around and visit. But some of them live around the corner. They don't even, they don't even, I won't say that. <laughs> they even look upon me. You know, oh me. I come to church every week and nobody ever comes over and says hello. Wouldn't even offer me a cup of tea. He uses these things, this encouragement, and he's like, yeah, nobody does that. You know, they don't like you, dear. They say they're Christians. They're not really Christians. They don't love the love of the Lord. You know what you should do? Stop going. Don't go there anymore. Yeah, you're right. I ain't going to go there anymore. I'm going to stay at home. Yeah, stay at home. <laughs> Have church in your house. Have church on your ones. And we've all been there. I don't want to go. I want to be on my own. Oh, so you're an island now, yeah? You know, there's no lone rangers in the kingdom. Body ministry. We all need each other. We've looked at it in Ephesians. You know, every, everyone's meant to supply which everybody else needs. You know, we've all been there. We all sort of like, like the little self-pity things. Some more than others. But you feeling me? That's how the devil, he, he sees us when we're vulnerable and he says, he's, roaring, he's getting back like a run. Oh, yeah, there's one over there. And we fall for it. You know, he says, you know that thing you've been praying about all this time? God ain't listening to you. Come on now. If he was listening to you, don't you think he, he, he would answer your prayers? He says that if you ask for bread, he wouldn't give you a stone. You're not even getting a stone. And we're like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it's true, you know. I don't know if this Bible thing's real, you know. And we listen to it. 
You know, he throws these things to discourage us, to put doubt in our mind. He's, he makes us question, well, are you really saved? Did you say the prayer the way the prayer should be, if there is a prayer if the way it should be? You know, you know oh, you're not really baptized, didn't it? Because you, you, you got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but you weren't baptized into Jesus, was you? And it's like, you start thinking, all right, I've got to get saved again. I've got to get baptized again. You start doing, you're like, really? Come on now. We're meant to know in whom we believe in. We're meant to know we should, how we're rooted with those shoes. We put up that shield of faith. We put on the helmet of salvation because we know that we're saved. I know that I'm saved. And because the enemy consistently, persistently just keeps firing these things, firing these thoughts, you know, God says, put on the helmet. Put on the helmet. Now, the helmet of salvation does not mean that we are to put on this helmet and get saved. You know, we read this and we think, yeah, we put on the helmet of salvation. That means we've got to get saved, isn't it? Just me. Okay. So it's not talking about getting saved because this is the fifth item we have to appropriate. So that means salvation comes fifth in the line. That don't make sense chronologically. So what does it mean? You know, putting on the helmet of salvation. You know, we're already saved because we're already in Christ Jesus. We're already in the army. So it's not talking about salvation in that sense, that getting saved, but it is talking about the whole aspect of salvation. Because our salvation, you know, has a past, present, and future aspect to it. We are saved. We are being saved. But ultimately, one day in the future, we will be saved. So as we appropriate the helmet, we have to remind ourselves of the past aspect of salvation, which we know justifies us and frees us from the penalty of sin. And so we are saved. We can remember back to that day when it was such and such and such and such a day. I got saved. I put my trust and my hope and my faith in Jesus Christ and I was saved. But then we know that as we're walking with the Lord, I'm in this process of sanctification. I'm being saved. And then just repeating myself. So we have to put on this helmet and remind ourselves of these things. The past aspect, which justifies us and frees us from the penalty of sin. The present aspect of salvation, which sanctifies and frees us from the power of sin. And we have to remind ourselves of that future aspect of our salvation, which we will, will, we will be glorified with Christ. And it frees us from the presence of sin. You see, in the book of Romans, it, I mean, Revelation, it talks about how God is going to wipe away every tear. And there's going to be no more death. And we know from the book of Romans that the, the, the wages of sin... Is death. So if the wages of sin is death, but in heaven there's going to be no more death, that means there's going to be no more sin. And so it frees us from the presence of sin. 
So the helmet of salvation, it looks at all three aspects simultaneously, but it focuses on the future aspect. It focuses on the fact that I'm going through a rough time right now. I'm going through difficulty. This is a war and it's hard, but you know what? I can look to the future. I can look to the fact that I can know and I can hope in the fact that one day this battle is going to be over. One day I'm going to be with the Lord. One day there will be an end to spiritual warfare. So it refers to this confidence that we have to have in the hope of the final purchase of salvation. So when the enemy comes, you know, and attacks us, he wields his broad sword of discouragement and doubt. You know, our response is to have our armor on and to stand. Having done all to stand, stand. And we, could, we should confidently reply, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For you who are kept. How are we being kept? You're being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, that's how we respond when the enemy comes. Do you know what? You may be getting the upper hand of me right now, but I've got, a res- I've got a salvation ready to be revealed for me. What about you? It should bring confidence. First, First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day, see we are children of the day, not children of the night, be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith. Here it calls it the breastplate of faith, but not in, our, in our, the portion of what we're looking at. Oh, the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's that future. It's putting it on, knowing, yeah, I was saved. I gave my life to the Lord. I'm going through sanctification. It's all good. But I know where I'm going. Doesn't matter what you throw at me. I know where I'm going. And so we appropriate the helmet of salvation because one day in the future, we know that we will be with Jesus. And there will be an end to the battles we have to endure. And there will be an end to spiritual warfare. And so, you know, as we consider all these items of the armor of God, you know, just to close, to close with the word, words of Jude, Jude one twenty four, which says, now to him who is able, now is God able? 
to, now to him, him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Have you got your shoes on? Have you got your helmet? Uh, have you got your helmet on? Have you got your shield up? He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, that's beautiful because it's not like God just, you know, his workmanship, you know, he's the author and finisher of our faith. And it's not like he just sort of like said, all right, yeah, you're dusted off. Yeah, mm, you're fine. Move along. Next one. It's like he has exceeding joy. When he presents himself, us to, to himself, as it were, he does it with exceeding joy. That's the God in whom you serve. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good. You don't expect us to be in this battle, Lord, without giving us the appropriate weapons, Lord. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in you for pulling down strongholds, Lord. Bringing everything into subjection to the name of Jesus. Lord, help us, Lord, as we Try to appropriate these, these aspects of the armor, Lord, as we make them a reality within our daily walk, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, because, you know, for many of us, the battle is thick. You know, it, the, the war is raging, Lord Jesus, and we need to be in you, Lord, so that we know that it's your power, it's your strength, it's your might. Help us, Lord Jesus, as a, as individuals, but help us corporately as a family, Lord, to be true to your word. And so um, I pray, Lord Jesus, that these things will continue just to resonate with your people. They will continue to challenge us as we go through the week, Lord Jesus, and, and we'll be able to find strength from them. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.